Matthew 4, 1 through 11, the temptation of Christ. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Thank you, Paige. God wants us to grow. It's one of the things we talk about all the time around here is that God wants us to grow. His, his plan for us, his goal for us is to become more and more like Jesus while we're here on this earth. That we're, the, the design here is for us to continually be moving towards him and becoming more like him. And God is working in our lives, changing us from the inside out to make us more like Jesus, to make us more like his son. It says that that's his plan. Romans chapter eight talks about that his plan is to conform us to the image of his son. And so God wants us to be more like Jesus today than we were this time a year ago. He wants us to be more like Jesus today than we were a month ago. We want, we, we want to be on a journey together as a community, as a people of God, growing in our relationship with Christ. One of the things I think is really great about Crosspoint Community Church is that you don't, you don't have to have your act together to be a part of this. And, and you don't even have to, you don't have to try to make it look like you have your act together. We, we know we're all messed up. We know that we all fall short. We know that we all drift away from time to time and we're gonna walk through that together and we're gonna recognize that. We're not gonna come in here and like, act like, oh, man, this is all perfect. And we, like, we don't want an Instagram version of ourselves on Sunday morning. We, we, we wanna come in here and be honest and real and open and we wanna do that together in community and all those things. But let's keep in mind that as we're doing that, the goal of all that is for us to grow. The goal of all that is for us to continually take ground. The goal of all of that is for us to continually move on and become more and more like Christ. And as we're being open and honest and real with each other in community, we're doing that for the purpose of encouraging each other and spurring each other on and becoming more like Christ. And Jesus is, among many things, one of, he's an example for us. And last week we looked at his baptism. We looked at this, this idea that the, the one person at the Jordan River that day who did not need to be baptized 
into a baptism of repentance comes and says, I want to be baptized. And a big part of that is because he's setting this example. He's showing us. He's, he's here to live for us, not just die for us, but to live for us and show us what that looks like. And so he's baptized that day as, a, as an example for us. And now we're going to see that he's facing temptation. And the Bible says that he was tempted in every way that we're tempted, but he was without sin. And that gives us so much hope in that. And we're going to look at his temptation, and we're going to see, once again, some example characteristics, like some things that he's doing here that we can learn from as we face temptation, because we all have that going on all the time. And so we can look to him for an example. It's not just that, and we'll talk about that as we go along in this, but it is that, that Jesus gives us this story, which obviously he's out in the wilderness, and it's... No, no crowd is there watching this. There's no one to record that. So it's, it was that important that he would tell his disciples about this so that they would record it in our scriptures so we could see it. So there is this, he's showing us the way. He's giving us an example. Here's how we can face and overcome temptation in our lives. And so we're going to look at that today in the story, and we're going to make some observations about temptation and what God is doing through that, what the enemy's doing through that, all those different kinds of things, and hopefully it'll help us as we, as we go through that today. The first observation that I think we ought to make in this is that temptation is used by God to test our faith. And so you'll see, that, you'll see that on the screen. Temptation is used by God to test our faith, and I've, man, I've played around with the wording on that a whole lot because it's an interesting thing to start talking about God being involved in temptation. The Bible tells us that God does not tempt us, that that's not ever part of his plan, that he's, he's wanting to tempt us to sin. That's, that's not what God is doing. But God uses these moments of temptation in our life because he's God, he's in control of everything. He uses those moments to test our faith. So look back at your text Look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, and look at what it says. Right after his baptism, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Do you see the intention behind that? Do you see the purpose behind that? That why is Jesus out in the wilderness? The Spirit led him out in the wilderness. Why is, why is he going out in the wilderness? To be tempted by the devil. This is, a, this is a theological foundational framework that we need in our lives that, that everything that happens to us, God is in control of. God is allowing things in our lives. He's not going to tempt Jesus. He's not going to tempt us, but he's going to allow temptation to come into our lives because he's going to use it to test us. He's going to use it to grow us in our faith. And sometimes I think we look at temptation and we think, man, God, why don't you just take this away? Why don't you remove this temptation? I've been struggling with temptation for all my life and you won't remove it. Why don't you just take the temptation away so I don't have that lure anymore? I don't have that feeling anymore. I don't want to give into that anymore. And I think in those times when we're asking those why questions, we ought to look back at this passage and remember that God allowed his son to be tempted. That there was a purpose behind it. There was an intention. He didn't just allow it here. He's leading. The Spirit is leading Jesus out for this period of temptation. And we know it's a temptation because Satan's involved. And Satan's going to come. And he's going he's to offer him. He's going to try to lure him away. But the word temptation and test in the Bible, are, in, in the Greek and the Hebrew, they're really interchangeable. It's, it's kind of we look at it and we say, well, is this a test or is this a temptation? And sometimes it's, it's kind of both that God is using these periods of temptation in our lives 
to test our faith. And this story is, it's so rich. And this whole wilderness thing, this 40 days and 40 nights, there's so many parallels in this story that kind of, especially for Matthew's audience, would have reminded them of Israel being in the wilderness. When Jesus goes out there and fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, there's all of a sudden, there's, oh, they're in the wilderness? He's in the wilderness 40 days? What in the world? The, the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. There's all these parallels to this. And in, in Israel's wandering, you remember, first it was for their disobedience, and in that wandering, in that period in the wilderness, it was a testing period for them. I want you to see this. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, God tells Moses what that was all about. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So Israel's in the wilderness, and God is testing them. There's, there's trials and temptations all throughout that time, and he's doing it. He says, so God will find out, what's in your heart? Are you going to follow him or not? Are you going to stay true to his commandments or not? And Israel failed that test in the wilderness. They repeatedly failed the tests in the wilderness. They repeatedly gave in to temptation. They repeatedly grumbled against God. They repeatedly didn't trust him the way that God wanted them to. And now Jesus is in the wilderness, fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, as a picture of someone who's going to succeed in that setting. But it's a, it's a testing that God allows and brings into his life to kind of prove his faith, to show his obedience. Um, the Bible says that Jesus learned how to obey. As a man, he learned. As God, he's perfect. But as a man, he learned how to obey through this testing period. And so these Temptations come to us, and, and we need to remember that temptation is not a sin. To be tempted is not sin. It's when we give in to the temptation, when we allow it to trap us and to trick us, and we step across the line, then it becomes a sin. But to be tempted, to have those feelings like, I want to do this thing that I know is wrong, that's not a sin. And so this temptation comes in our lives, and, and it's, it's kind of meant to, something God can use to test our faith, which means that he's growing our faith. I think sometimes we think God just wants us to be happy and comfortable. We know that the Bible doesn't tell us that, but we still want to think that, don't we? Like, surely just God, he just wants me to be happy and comfortable. That's the goal here. But the Bible doesn't really teach that. The Bible teaches us that God wants us to be more like Christ, that he wants us to grow in our faith. And so sometimes when trials, tests, and even temptations come into our lives that are designed by God to make us grow and to push us along and to test our faith, we don't understand it because we've got the wrong goal for our lives. We, we No, God wouldn't let this happen to me because he wants me to be happy and comfortable. No, God wants you to be like Jesus. And Jesus experienced all this. And so we need to look at our temptation. Even our temptation is a chance to have our faith tested, which completely changes the ball game, doesn't it? It means that every time you have, are faced with a temptation and through God's help, obviously, you overcome that temptation and you say no to it, it's a sign that you believe. It's a sign that you're growing. 
It should be confirmation and it should be encouragement to us. Like those temptations that he used to get you with so quickly and so easily when you were young in your faith, now a few years into this, that you're walking with him and that that temptation doesn't get you as easily anymore. God's using that in your life to show you your faith, to show that faith, to help you grow, to to help build that confidence that he's, he's continually making you into the image of his son to make you more like Jesus. And so God will use these temptations in our lives. And here he leads Jesus into that experience. We need to kind of wrap our minds around that because then it's not just the enemy coming against us all the time, but it gives us this bigger picture for it. Well, oh, there's, God has a purpose behind this. Yeah, the enemy's trying to do this. He's obviously trying to trip me up, but he's on a leash And God is using this for his glory and his um, display of his greatness in my life by allowing me to be tempted and then giving me everything I need to overcome that temptation. It's an important truth that we need to grab a hold of. Another thing that you see in this passage is that temptation is often preceded by spiritual high points. Jesus was just baptized in the Jordan. You remember that setting? We talked about it last week, but even if you weren't here last week, you kind of remember that setting. Jesus goes into the waters. He was baptized. He comes out of the waters. He was raised, and then the Spirit descends in the form of a dove and anoints him as the king, and then God's voice comes out of heaven and says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And so the whole trinity's there, son, spirit, father, they're all... They're at work. It's an amazing moment. You can imagine this is a spiritually high moment. And the next thing that happens is that Jesus is taken off into the wilderness to be tempted. His temptation is often preceded by spiritual high points in our lives. The, the, the way that we know that is just the first word of the passage. Verse 1 of chapter 4, the first word says then. That's what this is then. Next Baptism, then this happens. But the other way we know that is by by looking at what Satan's going to say. He's going to say, hey, if you're really the son of God, that's how he starts all of his temptations. And you just remember, God just proclaimed at this baptism, this is my son. Spiritual high moment followed by temptation. And that truth will help us. We have these spiritual high moments. We have these weeks where it just man, everything just kind of clicks and connects and we're just riding that spiritual high and then all of a sudden we turn around and there's temptation right in our face and we're like, why in the world does that happen? I thought everything was going well. Well, man, a lot of times that's exactly how it works. A lot of times when everything's going really good, we let our guard down and that's when temptation comes. But a lot of times, I think temptation comes after these spiritual high points because it's another chance for God to test us and to prove that our faith is real. It's another opportunity for us to take the spiritual high and put, it, put boots on the ground and actually live that out. It is easy to walk with God in those spiritually high moments. Students, where'd you guys go? You were all right here last week and now I don't have any idea where to find you when you're not even wearing the right shirt. So, like, we had Disciple Now last weekend. It's, a, it's an amazing Weekend where you're just saturating yourselves with the people of God and the Word of God, and you're praying, you're worshiping, you're doing all these things. It's a spiritual high moment. These things are necessary for uh, all of us, but they're really necessary for students. 
And I could talk a long time about how we need to strategically, and I'm so glad that our church says that, strategically put these moments where they will come up and they will go on the spiritual mountaintop and really remember who they are and their identity in Christ and what they're really wanting to do because all the other time they're down here, they're just getting bombarded with all these lies and all these different kinds of temptations. And we give them this, this weekend we call it disciple now, and we put them in host homes, and they're just saturating themselves with the scripture, and it's an amazing moment. But guys, let's be honest. In that moment, students, it's so easy, right? This is the easiest time ever to walk with Christ and to profess your faith and to believe in him. It's easy during disciple now. And some of you, I mean, somebody always says that, man, I wish disciple now could just last forever. And we're like, that's ridiculous. You think that's great, and our host homes would all quit tomorrow. Nope, I am out. We'd never get another host home to sign up for that ever. But it's the spiritual high, and it's like, this is what we're supposed to be doing. It's, it's Peter looking at Jesus and Moses and, and Elijah on the mountaintop. So let's just build some tents and stay up here. And Jesus says, no, we're not going to do that. We've got to go down to where this gets real. And we've got to put this faith, this, this spiritual high needs to become the way we live our lives. And so you come down out of disciple now so that you can put your faith into action. And so maybe the temptation comes right after the spiritual high because you've never been more prepared to face that temptation than you are when you come out of that event. And so you need those events. You need Launchbox here in a few weeks to go and serve and to be reminded of who you are and reminded of, of your mission. You need dwell this summer. You need, we put these things not just to keep you busy. We put them strategically in your life when you need it, when you need to ramp up, when you need to be reminded of those truths. But when you come out of those things, expect it. Expect the temptation to hit you in the face. Expect the enemy to be waiting and try to trip you up and try to take away, to steal and to kill and destroy all that God did in those weekends. This temptation often is preceded by these spiritual high points in our lives. But in all that, God's using it. In all that, God is working in our lives to make us more like Christ. He even uses periods of temptation to grow our faith, to encourage us, to challenge us as we achieve these victories by his power. But obviously, in temptation, there's another, another party involved. There's an, another agenda behind the temptation that's not God's purpose to grow us, but it's to trip us up. It's the enemy that we have, Satan. And so I want to look at that, uh, and, and I want to make some observations about that as well. And the first one is this, temptation is an attempt by our enemy, by our enemy, to make us doubt God. Here's what Satan does. He, he gets Jesus out in the wilderness. God has led him out there. It's not a surprise attack. God didn't see it coming. He led him out there to be tempted to test his faith, to prove his faith, to show his faith. But the enemy has this other plan in mind. And behind every one of these temptations is this, this idea of he's trying to get Jesus to doubt the Father's plan. Get Jesus to doubt whether he can trust God the Father. And that's, that's always behind all the temptations that we face. Yes, our enemy wants us to sin. 
He, he wants to put a lure in front of you and a lie in front of you and tell you, if you'll do this, it'll make you happy. It'll satisfy you. It will please you. He's always trying to get us to sin and, and disobey God's commandment. But behind all that, what he's really doing is he's trying to get us to not trust God. He's trying to plant seeds of doubt into your life to where you'll say, I'm not sure God's plan is really best for me. I'm not sure God will really satisfy me. I'm not sure God will give me everything I really, really need. And so all of a sudden, that temptation to do that thing, to disobey God's commandment in that one area, it's, it's a lot bigger than that because what you do is you cross that line saying, I just don't think God's plan is best. And so when you see temptation, when you face temptation, look at that big picture. Don't just look at, oh, he just wants me to do this and he's promising this pleasure, this, this success or whatever. And no, see the big picture, what he's doing behind the scenes. He's saying, hey, are you sure you can trust God? It's the same thing he did with Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Did God really say, are you sure? Can you really trust him? Don't you think he's withholding something from you? He hasn't changed his tactics because they work. He's planting seeds of doubt. And so he comes to Jesus and every one of these temptations, he starts with the phrase, if you are the son of God. Please don't misunderstand that. He's not trying to say that you might not be the son of God. Satan knows he is. What he's trying to do is say, if you're really the son of God, can't you do it your way? If you're really the son of God, do you have to follow the father's plan that includes a cross and suffering? Do you really have to fast and be hungry out here? If you're really the son of God, can't you take matters into your own hand and do whatever you want? And Jesus, as the son of God, is fully God and fully man. And as a man, he has decided to submit to the Father, to obey the Father and to follow the Father and carry out the Father's will. And so that's the temptation here. Can you, if you're the son of God, do you, do you really trust him? Do you, don't you think you can do it a different way? And so he comes to him and says, here's the first one. Turn these stones into bread. You've been out here hungry for 40 days and 40 nights. You're fasting. You can just tell the stones be bread and they'll be bread and you can feed yourself. Just do that. And once again, it's pointing us back to this picture of Israel in the wilderness where they had to learn how to depend upon God for their daily provision. He would, he would, he would make manna appear. He would provide water and, and food for them on a daily basis. And they had to learn to depend upon him and to completely trust in his provision. And they didn't. They grumbled against it. They didn't like it. They, they, they looked at manna and said, we don't even know what that is. And so they just continually... Manna means what is it, by the way, just in case you don't know. It's a bad preacher joke. And they grumbled and they complained and they didn't trust him. And Jesus was out in the wilderness, led by the Spirit to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. And then Satan comes and says, well, you're the son of God. Just, just, just eat. Turn the, turn the stones into bread. And instead of doing that, he decides to show that he trusts God's provision. He, he, he answers him with Deuteronomy. He looks at him and he says, from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, the next verse that, out of the passage we read a while ago, and he basically says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I need God more than I need bread. I need to follow his plan for my life more than I need just to eat today. 
And it seems like a pretty easy statement, but man, in the middle of the battle, we forget that real easily, don't we? No, I need to eat bread right now. That's what I need. We need to follow God. We need to trust in his provision. The Israelites failed the test. Jesus passes the test. He says, no, no, we're not supposed to live by bread alone. We're supposed to live by the word of God. That's our sustenance. That's what satisfies us. That's what fills us up. Taking the stones and turning them into bread in that moment would have been sidestepping God's plan for Jesus to experience what we experience as humans and experience the pain of hunger and experience that temptation, experience that suffering, that path for him that God had laid out. It would have been sidestepping it. And that's what the enemy was trying to do ultimately. So then it says that he took him up to the highest tower, the highest pinnacle of the temple. And just so you know, nobody knows if they, they like, really went there, they really transported or did a Jedi mind trick or something, or if it was just a vision, nobody knows. And it doesn't really matter because the temptation was still real. And he takes him up to this high, high point and he says, hey, throw yourself off of there. And then, just in case you thought this wasn't scary enough, Satan uses scripture to try to make his case. Satan knows scripture. He, he doesn't submit to it, but he knows it. He probably knows more than all of us. And he uses scripture in that. Look at, look at this verse five. The devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, Psalm 91, 11, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. So he's saying, hey, throw yourself off of here. The Bible even says that angels will make sure you don't fall. They will come and protect you. Just throw yourself off. Show it. If you're really the son of God, they'll come in. They'll swoop down. Jesus answers him once again from Deuteronomy verse 16 of chapter 6. Jesus said to him, against written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Do you understand what this temptation, like, to do that, Jesus has all of a sudden put God on the hook to serve him. That's all. It seems like a temptation for all of us in so many different ways that we want to make deals with God all the time. God, if you will do this for me, then I will do this for you. And we're trying to put God as subservient to us instead of the other way around. He's saying, hey, hey, throw yourself off here. God is obligated at that point to come in and rescue you. And we don't ever say those words out loud, but we think them, don't we? If I do this, and I do this, and I do this, then God is and we don't say it out loud, but we think he's obligated to do this. He, he will have to bless me in this way. He will have to take this thing away from me. He, that's not how this works, y'all. We want it to work that way, but it's not. That's why we got some people that have wandered away from the truth of the scripture into this health and wealth prosperity gospel. And they think, if I do this and I do this, then I will never be sick and I'll always be wealthy and I'll always have everything I need. And they're like, oh yeah, that's not in the Bible, but I'm gonna believe it. Man, that's, that's what Jesus is saying. No, no, I'm not gonna throw myself off here. I'm not gonna put God to the test. I'm going to trust him and his plan. I'm not sidestepping. I'm not going around it. Be careful when we slide into that trap of thinking God owes me something for what I've done. Remember the gospel. God doesn't owe us anything. 
This is all grace and mercy given to us. Not because we deserve it, but because God is rich in mercy and abounding in grace. And then this, this third temptation, it's kind of silly. If you think about it, he says he takes him to a very high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And that's why people think it was just a vision because there's, I don't think there's a mountain where you can see them all. And then he says, verse nine, all these kingdoms I will give you, Jesus, if you will fall down and worship me. He's kind of lost the subtlety of this whole thing. Just worship me. I'll give you all these kingdoms. You have all this power. You have all this domain. You have all this authority. He seems kind of desperate in this moment. But I want you to remember what we said earlier, that this is, there's something behind all this. And what he's doing here, once again, is he's trying to get Jesus to do it his own way and to sidestep the plan. Everybody was looking for the Messiah to show up and conquer all the kingdoms, conquer the Romans, defeat them, become a ruling king from throne in Jerusalem. Like That's what everybody's looking for. But the path that the Messiah was on had always been the same path. It was the path chosen before the foundation of the world by God, and that is a path of suffering and a path of death on a cross in our place because that was our only hope. And what Satan is saying, you can have all the power. You can have all the kingdoms. You can have it right now. Just worship me and I'll give it to you. You can avoid all that cross and all that suffering. Sidestep the plan. Jesus is tempted, and I think ultimately that's the temptation. Is he going to decide just to take the throne and take the power that he deserves, or is he going to follow the path of the Messiah as a suffering servant and to die on that cross? And he chooses the path of the suffering servant. He wins, he passes the test in the wilderness. Matthew's telling the story in chapter four about what Satan offered him if he would worship him. And Jesus responds, of course, with Deuteronomy again. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve, verse 10. And then at the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, when Jesus is about to give us the great commission, tell us we go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations, baptize and teach them all that. You remember what he says first? Jesus says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Satan offered him some authority, some power. Jesus resisted, resisted that temptation and what he did, God honored that, gave him the name above all names. Every, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he's Lord and has given him all authority, ultimate authority over heaven and earth. Sometimes we give in to temptation we choose this other path and we sidestep God's plan and sometimes it even feels for a moment like it works, doesn't it? I mean, that's, if it didn't, we would never do it again. Feels like that kind of worked. And how many victories have we lost that were so much bigger because we gave in and we sidestepped God's plan in our lives? How many? And God said, oh, I, I had this for you and you chose this path. Satan says, here, you can have all the power and all the kingdoms. And Jesus says, no, no, I'm going to get those, but I'm going to get them this other way, the, the way of obedience, the path that God the Father wants me to walk on. You can't read this story without noticing that Jesus shows us an example of how to fight the temptation. And that, that's so clear in the story. Temptation is overcome with truth. 
How do you, how do you fight? If, if the enemy is trying to tell us that we should doubt God and his character and his plan for our life and we should take it into our, our own plans and, and go our own way, if the enemy's trying to cast doubt on God's character, then how do we fight that? We fight it with truth. We remind ourselves of the truth. And what Jesus does is he fights this battle with Satan. He overcomes all these temptations with Scripture, with the Word of God. Every one of these quotations is direct Scripture that Jesus throws back at Satan, and they're all from Deuteronomy. <laughs> Here's a really good question for you. How successful would your walk with Christ be if you were dependent upon how much you knew of Deuteronomy? Everybody in there for your quiet time? So interesting and, and exciting. Maybe it's not a fair question, but it is a fair question to say, how well do you know your scripture? I, I'm hiding God's word in my heart so I will not sin against him. This is a battle that we're in. And Jesus shows us the example. He shows us the way. Here's how you respond when the, when the devil comes and lies to you and tries to trick you and tries to show you a different path and tries to cast doubt in your heart and your mind about the character of God and his plan for your life. Respond to it with truth. And this, guys, is the truth. It's absolute. It's unchanging. It's not subjective. So do you know this? If you don't know this word, you are not equipped for battle. You're not ready. You're not ready to come off that spiritual high and go into the, if you're not in his word, if you don't systematically have a way that you're studying this and learning this and in community talking about it with other people and sitting in this worship service and taking notes and doing all these things and learning from God's word, you're not going to be equipped for the battle. Just not. In Ephesians, Paul tells us that we are in a battle. The battle's not with flesh and blood as much as we think that it is when we're driving on I-30. It's not. The battle's against, it's a spiritual battle. And it's always raging. It's unseen. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Skip down to verse 17, he goes through the armor, all the defensive things. In verse 17 he says, and take the helmet of salvation and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God is a sword. The word of God is designed for us to have something to attack. The word of God is not just for our protection, it's for the battle, it's to take ground. And when temptation comes, when we know God's word, when we're studying his word, when we're abiding his word, we have the equipment we need, we have everything we need to do battle and to overcome that temptation because we will have truth. Not just like truth about, well, that's bad for me, but truth about who you are in Christ, truth about your identity. God's, the, the enemy's saying, no, does God really love you? Does he really care for you? Is his plan really best? And you're like, no, the Bible tells me that God loves me. God, the Bible tells me that his plan is best for me. The Bible tells me I can trust him. The Bible tells me that he's working in my life to make me more like Jesus, not just for my happiness and comfort. So I can trust him. So fight that battle with truth. Take up the sword of the spirit. 
Don't leave home without it. Don't go into the battle without that. Make sure you're in his word. You don't know how to do that? You, know how to, like, you want some next steps? Come talk to us. We'd love to tell you. Hey, here's some Bible plans. Here's some reading plans. Here's some study plans. Maybe as we're walking through Matthew, you just want to focus in on Matthew and just study Matthew and just be prepared so that you come in here going, yeah, we're going to talk about this. I've already thought about it. I've already, God's already speaking to me. He's already showing me some things. This is going to be so helpful. Equip yourselves for the battle. Jesus gives us an amazing example. Here's, here's what it looks like to face temptation and to overcome it with truth. Fantastic. But let's be honest today. We need more than an example, don't we? The Israelites were in the wilderness. All these tests, all these temptations, all these trials, they failed. Jesus goes into the wilderness and he passes all of them. Jesus wins a victory over temptation that the Israelites could not win. And Jesus wins a victory over temptation that you and I couldn't win. And what we need even more than his example is we need this victory. And that's what he does. He promises that victory. In your community groups this week, you ought to look at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, where it talks about how no temptation has overtaken this that's not common to man. And God has always provided a way of escape from that. Why? Because Jesus won the victory. Because Jesus died, was buried, and conquered death, conquered the grave, and conquered sin on our behalf. And because of the gospel, because of what Jesus Christ did, we literally have the power, not us, but because of him working through us, to say no to every temptation, to resist, to flee, to escape, to battle and overcome because we have the truth. Because of Jesus, we've been given the victory. We've been given a victory where we fail, where we mess up. You mess up tomorrow, you still have the victory in Jesus. You can get back up and get right back in the battle. And so we look to him as an example, but ultimately we look to him to give us the victory that we couldn't earn for ourselves. Let's pray. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the truth from your word that is so many times a reminder of who we are and what you've done, and so many times an encouragement. Remember that you're still at work and your plan is always good, and so many times a challenge where we need to continue to strive and we continue to trust and we continue to move forward. God, I pray that as a people that we will respond to your word, that we'll be doers of the word, that we will take your word and we will equip ourselves for the battle by knowing your word and that we will put that into practice on the daily schedules of our lives, all the events, all the circumstances. And God, that you would enable us because of the victory that Jesus won for us to resist temptation, to say no to temptation, but even beyond that, to overcome temptation and to take ground for your kingdom. God, we pray that we would do that for your glory and because of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.